1: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Ponds, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: Last week and the week before we talked about how to have a relationship even with those that we might perceive to be, or maybe really, Our enemies. Well, he doesn't end there because he's helping the Christians to know as they're developing their faith and their belief system to understand what is the relationship with the government. Now, that's where it gets a little tricky because when you look at the government in those days, was Paul just speaking about the government during the time of um, Paul and Romans and that type of thing? Actually, if you look into the New Testament, you're going to see that the principles of how Christians relate to their government was given not only by Paul to the Romans, he also gave a special indication of how to live with a government to a budding pastor named Titus. And Titus was on a little tiny island of Crete with a bunch of swashbuckling pirates that got saved and there was new churches forming on that island. But that wasn't enough. Even Peter himself, who lived under Roman rule for a while there, as you well know, before he went to heaven, he also gave instructions in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, and he did it in a way to say to all the people, and then he named all these areas, large areas with literally hundreds of thousands of people, and perhaps even salt and peppered with Christians that are in there. So here's what I'm saying is that the government could be any government in which we find ourselves. So while it's Christian to government, it could be the Christian to his government. Here's a conversation you might want to have with your mate or family or friends or even tonight. You might want to ask yourself this question. What are the different forms of government that we know of here on planet Earth? Obviously we have a democracy. You have some that are completely run by the military. You have others that are monarchy, others that are parliament. They have all different kinds of governments. So talk about that. So does that mean that the scripture is for Christians that live only one under one kind of government? And we're going to be discussing that on a few other important points today as well. In addition to that, we might even have to ask the question, do we really need government at all? Do we really need to have laws and policies and rules? And then, of course, when you do it right, you get blessing of peace. If you don't do it, then you have certain penalties to pay, whether they're fines or incarceration or maybe even capital punishment. Do we really need to have government at all? And as I began to ponder that question, I came across the writings of a guy by the name of Robert Haldane. And while I refer to him as a guy, I want you to know he's a scholar, in understanding the concept of government from a biblical point of view. And here's what he said, and maybe what he said will open up your mind to start understanding that government is ordained by God and why it's important. And here's what Haldane says. Listen carefully. He says, the institution of civil government is a dispensation of mercy, and its existence is so indispensable that the moment it, government, ceases under one form, it will reestablish itself in another form. Almost in a sense, our government is kind of different today and how we live than maybe a hundred years ago. So it's kind of morphing, and he says it will continue to do that. He goes on to say, the world, ever since the fall, when the dominion of one part of the human race over another was immediately introduced, has been in such a state of corruption and depravity that without the powerful obstacle presented by civil government, which would be laws... To the selfish and malignant passions of men, it would be better to live among the beasts of the forest than in human society. Meaning that if we didn't have a government with laws and consequences, that we might as well be an animal in the forest and live among them. He didn't end there because he's really giving an indictment for those that believe that we don't need a government. He says, As soon as its restraints are removed, government, man shows himself in his real character. When there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes, we see in the last three chapters of the book of Judges what were the dreadful consequences of it. So my dear friends, whether we like our government or not, government is ordained by God and it does have a purpose and the ultimate purpose is to restrain man because of our own depravity. So keeping that in mind, I then asked the question, all right, of all the different types of government, what do you think would be the best government to live under? I don't know if it would be because I'm an American and I think ours is the best. As someone who might live in Asia and they think their government is the best or the Middle East or wherever. But I do like the quote of Winston Churchill and he said it this way. He said, democracy is the worst form of government until you consider the alternatives. And there may be some truth in that. But today I'm not going to give you a message on why we ought to fly the American flag for democracy What I'd rather help us do is to fly the flag of the word of God to answer the question, how should Christians be? And what should be our relationship to government under whatever government you might find yourself, as a businessman in another country, as perhaps even um, a missionary in another country, or maybe even traveling as a tourist when you're in that country and you're not on the, the, the campus of our embassy, how should you respond to that government when you are in that country? What would God have us do? So then I began to look at scripture and truly, folks, I I thought about turning this into a three-month sermon series, but I knew after the second week you guys wouldn't come back because you'd want to go to some other church and learn something else. But I have to tell you the Bible almost from cover to cover operates underneath various forms of government. God sovereignly is over that government, tells us how to respond to that government, gives us examples of when it's done right and when it's done wrong, both from those that are the uh, citizens of that government or the government officials themselves. There's also policies and guidelines and commands for them. All the way up until the time God eliminates all of man's government and then he sets himself up... In Jerusalem as the king of kings and the lord of lords during the millennium and then from from them ever after so it's just replete with this and I hope that you and I as Christians would perhaps really dig deeper into God's word and understand what he has to say about it now again I mentioned to you we're not going to be able to cover all those passages I am going to try to jam it all into today's message in one one bite if I can but I have to tell you that There are a lot of questions. I won't be able to answer all the questions. Here are some of the questions that might come up, and I hope that principally you might be able to have answers to them. Here they are. One question is, what does it mean to be a Christian living under a pagan government? Now, you'd have to parse some of those words to describe what would a pagan government be. Is violent revolution ever justified? Maybe it goes back to our own revolution. What about capital punishment? Is it wrong to pay taxes to an unjust government, or a government who would use your tax money for something you would think would be anti-God? What about picketing abortion clinics? Under what circumstances should Christians disobey the law? Should colonial Christians have supported even the American Revolution? Is it wrong to refuse to pay taxes if they're supporting things, again, that you don't believe? What about the separation of church and state? What does that really mean, and what does the Bible have to say about it? Should Christians serve in the armed forces? And, of course, go into other countries and do what they do. How do you respond when those over you are corrupt? Not correct, but corrupt. And how far should we go to express our Christian concerns? How far can a Christian really go? And how far would God want us to go? Now, aren't those wonderful questions? Wouldn't you like to stop by my house tonight and get the quick little answer to that? I'd like to come by my house tonight and get the quick little answer to those questions. But I don't want to leave you without any answers. So I will give you some to ponder. And maybe in the future, should you want to put together a special session, then together we're going to discover what God has to say about it. It's a profound passage of Scripture, and it's not just to tickle your curiosity. It's to help us to respond biblically as a Christian as... Salt and light in whatever government we find ourselves. So here's what I'm hoping to accomplish today. I would like to give us uh, maybe three points regarding the message and the relationship to, uh, I guess, Christians to the government. One is going to be to understand what is the real nature of the government. So we'll spend some time just on the nature of it. Then we're going to talk about the purposes of the government. Why did God even design the government so we understand a little bit more the why behind it and what they're supposed to do for us as well as what the government Is also um, designed by God to help us do for them and then I want to talk about the responsibilities and relationship to the government a little bit of how we relate to them but also what are we supposed to do specifically so the purposes the responsibilities and of course the nature of it so let's kind of dive right into this at the very beginning first of all we must understand the nature of the government What I want to do now is I want to read through Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. This is the passage that we'll be covering today. And since many people are not here, and we'll have those, uh, I'm, I'm getting emails now from people saying, I can't be there Sunday. Will it be on YouTube? Yes, it will be. Will it also be recorded? Yes, it will be. People are putting Bible studies together already for this. But in case you don't have your Bible, I'd like to read the scripture to you now. And this is the passage we're going to cover. In it, you're going to then pick up the the feel, we might say, of the nature of government, just from this passage alone. Let me begin by reading in verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the government, all the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves why for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior but for evil do you want to have fear of authority do what is good do you, let me read again do you want to have no fear of authority do what is good and you'll have praise of the same for it is a minister of god to you for good but if you do what is evil be afraid for it does not bear the sword for nothing For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So, render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Well, Lord, help me today to explain this as clearly as possible. Help me to make it clear. So our first point is what we we must understand about the nature of government. First of all, civil government is a a part of God's purpose for the world. In other words, God said mankind is so wicked in order for themselves even even to have some degree of controlling humanity so they don't operate like animals in a jungle. He says, I'm establishing government. Now, governments will have different ways, different styles, but at least there's some factor of control over humanity. So it is for that. Look at the verse again, verse 1 and 2, and see if we can make some sense over it. I hope you have your pen ready, because this way when you read it again, certain words will stand out. It starts out by saying, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. I'd like you to circle the phrase, every person. The reason I'd like you to do that is because I want you to know that not only are the citizenships supposed to be responsible to the government and obey them, but also those that are in government are not to then take advantage of the rules that are there and kind of wiggle around them, that they even more so are not only to present those rules, those policies, those laws, they have to model them in their own life as well as enforce them. So they are just as subject to those laws as we are. So for those that are in any form of uh, uh, leadership, every person is to be subject to all those laws. And it's this, I like this phrase, to be in subjection. I did a little study on that because it deals a little bit more with just duty. It deals with to be in subjection as more of a passive attitude. So yes, there is a command, but he says, I want you to do it willingly, not so much out of duty, so you be in subjection. So he's basically saying this, I'm commanding you to surrender your heart and your life and your thinking and your behavior underneath the authority of man. So God is saying that that's something that we should do because we want to do it. So some of you that might be listening today that might be thinking that no government is all evil and I need to fight against all of that. Then what we're really doing is violating even this one portion of scripture that we're to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now I believe in context this is talking about the government over people in general. But maybe for some of you it might be helpful to know that there are other governing agencies. There's other what we might call a chain of command. There are other institutions of authority that God has set up in Scripture. And it's possible that we might be able to extrapolate some of these principles in this passage and see them how they might be in other relationships. So let me rattle through those very quickly so that you know that God has put authorities over us other than only just human government. Number one would be the family. Husbands over wives and parents over their children. And God actually established the family unit even before he did human government. Number two, the church over all believers... That's why those who are in authority, they have to arrive in authority in a way that they have earned the respect of the followers because of their character, not just their characteristics. And once they do that and they're placed in that position of spiritual authority, then those that are part of that faith family should surrender to those who are in authority, trusting that God will work through them. And of course, there's caveats as long as they're following Scripture. Number three is the government over all citizens. There's not any specific kind, but just the concept of authority. And then finally, employers are masters over all employees. So God has set up a chain of command, and this is another way to set up a type of controlling factor, controlling system in families, in faith families, on your job, and of course in your community. And of course we even see that there could be an international governing board. I believe there is for those that fly airplanes. Is there an international board for that? Those that are in shipping, that there's an international laws that they have to follow. So not only do different communities and states and countries and families and churches and jobs, but there's also somewhat of an international governing board that happens out there. And again, you have to understand, God set all of that up. Now he didn't say democracy over dictatorship. He said these are the principles and now follow within them. And that's what we're learning today. So keep those things in mind when we look at the list of what we might see as people who have the authority over us. But let's go a little bit further. In the passage it says, for there is no authority except from God. So when you see the word no no authority, I think you get that. But I think the important thing is it says, except it be from God. That means God, that means the Lord has prescribed and permitted certain styles of government to be all over the land to control the people. We know that government is going to be flawed because those who are in government, those who write the laws, those who enforce the laws, and the people with whom they have to get to follow those laws, they're all depraved. But yet still government in some measure, when it's done biblically, even a dictatorship, I don't want to shock you, But even a dictatorship, if it is run according to scripture in a biblical fashion, that it can too work for peace for the people that are in that realm, if it's all done correctly. So there is not one form of government. All of it is underneath God and his authority. Then it says, and those which exist are established by God. So they're in it and they're established by God. So we have a very sovereign God that's controlling humanity. And through that bit of humanity... We hope that many will come to faith in Christ through these rules and laws and permissions to speak. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So God says there is a bit of a consequence when we fight against God's system of authority. Well, let's look at the next thought here about the nature of government. And that is government leaders are servants of God. Now that is a point that you might read in scripture but as I read more and more it's permeated with the idea that while we look at you and me as citizens that we need to obey the the traffic laws and obey the legal laws whatever they might be out there. The important thing to understand is those who are in authority they are representing God. Every one of them. Now I don't care what type of government it is they are representing the one and true God. Now obviously they most of all the government leaders. They don't know God, so they're not. They're doing the best they can to control their people and they're messing it all up and that's why there's chaos, conflict, and war. All right, but when the person who is in that position, they are still put there and their primary purpose is to be a servant of the Lord. Look at the verse, if you will, again. I want to show you this. It says, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Here's what you do. Do what is good and you'll have praise from the same. For it is the minister of God. You could circle the word minister there. Interestingly, that word minister in this portion of scripture is the same Greek word that we translate in other portions of scripture as minister as well as the word deacon. So when you think of the word minister there, I want you to think of the word serve. They serve God. So the next time you're pulled over by a policeman, you might want to call him Reverend Cop or something. Now don't do that and I'm not trying to be light. But the idea is you have to see them that they have been placed in that position, given authority to be able to enforce the law to do certain things so we can have peace in our life and in our community. So they are a minister of God. And it says they're also there for good. But if you do it as evil, then be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For again, it is a minister, a deacon, a servant of God. An avenger who does bring wrath than the one who practices evil. As a little humorous side note, I remember when we first uh, came to this church uh, almost 11 years ago now, upstairs on the third floor of our offices, and I'd be here at night, and frequently we would see blue lights coming down the poly. Catching all those who are, for whatever reason, didn't see the speed limit or they just were coasting downhill or they just got caught up in the moment of driving fast. And the police, they just love to be able to slow people down in their way of doing that. The problem was, day or night, those police officers would pull all the people into our parking lot. So whether it was during the day or whether it was at night, it always looked like we were a part of a crime scene of some type. And anybody who got caught for speeding and had to be pulled in here, they always would have, I would think, a bad feeling about International Baptist Church, that we are the speed trap or something. And I felt very badly about that. So my first response was, I need to talk to one of these police officers. But I didn't have enough courage to do that. I didn't know how to do that. So I said, Lord, would you do me a favor right now? Would you stop the police from pulling people into our parking lot? Do you know that since that prayer I never had to ask a police officer to do that? We have never had a policeman pull someone into our parking lot, at least to my knowledge, and I'm here, seems like 28 hours a day. And so I want you to know that I've not seen them do that any longer. But I can only imagine what it's like, just very much, as soon as you see the blue lights anywhere around you, what is the first thing you do? You look at your speedometer, do you not? I do that, you do that. And if you're holding a cell phone, you know what you're doing right at that point. You're trying to say, how can I, what can I, how can I, what, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So they don't bear the sword just because they want to be mean and ugly. All they're doing is their job. Now I know that at times the individual may be out of control, but the purpose of that is still coming from the Lord and they're to be servants of the Lord in all that they do. So they're ministers of God. Now the big question is, and some of you may be listening to me right now, that are police officers or are those who are called upon to enforce certain laws. Wherever you are, you have to keep the law. That's something that you must do, whether it's the big constitution or something uh, maybe more local. I want you to look at some verses right now because this is going to answer the question, okay, what's my responsibility to my constituency? I wish that I could have every candidate that's running for office to go through this passage and many others I'm giving you just four verses in the midst of a, of a snowstorm of verses on what they're supposed to do once they're in office is our, our our government what should they do for us so to speak but for right now let me leave you with with four verses turn if you will to psalm 72 verses 1 through 4 i won't need to commentate much on these you think you'll you'll just be able to follow along as i read these but if you are in a position of of authority to enforce laws or in a position to provide good solid godly government here's what it says in psalm 72 verses 1 through 4 it says give the king your judgments O god So we find that it's a psalm of Solomon and he's praying to God and he's saying, God, give the king your judgments, hoping that, and through this prayer, that whoever is in authority, that they would be able to know the judgments of God, the word of God, and would be able to follow them and enforce them. Then it says, and your righteousness to the king's son. So he says, I want it to be a dynasty now. That each generation, whoever is a politician, whoever fills the shoes of the ones that's left, that they would have the judgments of God, they would know the judgments of God. Now in a technical sense, this also could be an explanation of how Christ is. This could be David giving it to Solomon. But the idea is, whoever is in authority, that they would be given the judgments of God to multiple generations, that it's passed down, so it doesn't change. Verse 2, may he judge your people with righteousness or rightness, and you're afflicted with judgment. And I like that. judging with righteousness, but also to remember the afflicted and to show them justice, because often the afflicted don't have justice. They're being abused. Verse 3, let the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills and righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. So, the idea is to take care of the disenfranchised, take care of those that are being succumbed through some form of affliction or being beat up by humanity or going through things of life that together as a whole we can take care of those that can't take care of themselves. So, he says that to the leaders and how important that is. Well, now the question comes up, all right. What happens if I know to do this, but I don't do this? And who knows, God may lead you into a political office and you will have certain responsibilities. What does he say to you to warn you about abusing the power that you have? One more passage. We're leaving Romans for a moment here. Turn to Isaiah chapter 10 for just a moment. Isaiah chapter 10. This is a very interesting passage because he's speaking here and then soon he's going to unleash the Assyrians on the Jews because the Jews were just so godless at the time and so he's using another nation to come against the Jews. But in Isaiah chapter 10, here's what he reads. Here's what it reads. Isaiah says this, Woe to those who, in verse 1, woe to those who enact evil statutes and to those who constantly record unjust decisions so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights. Now, ponder that for a moment. Woe to those who are stripping his people of the rights that they should have. It goes on a little bit further. And it says, so that the widows may be their spoil, going after the poor, the ones that can't fight back, and that they may plunder the orphans. Now, what will you do in the day of punishment? In the devastation which will come from afar? Again, talking about the Assyrians that are going to come in. To whom will you flee for help?
1: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.